Welcome to The Sponge Chunks, episode number 156 for Monday, August 30th. Holy smokes. And that's in 2021. My name is Joel Duggan and joining me this week again is Johnny, aka Pixervis, back from vacation. Hello, sir. Hello, and if you'd like to hear about my vacation in Wales, you can listen to it in The Render Distance. That's the extended version of the podcast, which you can get from patreon.com slash the spawn chunks. Support the show and hear about our holidays and all of the other stuff we talk about every week uh so there's it's about 20 minutes of me sharing my holiday photos uh i want to give a big thanks first of all to uh gemini tay for stepping in as the guest co-host last week uh, very generous of her to spend the time um and it was a really entertaining show i had to listen to it while i was on my holiday and uh, enjoyed it immensely so yeah make sure you go back and listen to that show if you haven't it was uh, it was a blast hearing Jem's voice again i felt i felt bad that i couldn't be part of the discussion but uh, yeah it's always nice to have uh, some new folks on the show of course and thanks to everybody that has written in or sent in a tweet or mentioned something to me via discord or twitch chat uh, had a lot of really positive feedback a lot of people really enjoyed having gemini tay on the show so thanks very much for, for letting us know that you like guest spots like that it, it really helps out a lot i somehow managed to upload it to youtube despite the uh internet in my holiday cottage in wales not really favoring upload speed as a priority it took about <laughs> six hours to upload a fairly oh small youtube video i mean it's a long episode but i don't tend to make the file sizes particularly big because there's no video component to it but yeah it did take a it did take a long time um so i have been largely absent from minecraft over the last week but since we haven't spoken for two weeks there is a little bit of stuff that i can share with you that i did both before and after my holiday um i have been absent from my uh, hardcore survival series for a little while because i just didn't have time to pre-record it some other stuff was taking priority um but i finally worked out my own version of a moss farm or at least i'm most of the way there I feel like I know all of the principles behind it, but putting them all into action at once is the main thing. Because I know you did um, Il Mango's moss farm on, on the Citadel. Yes. Yeah, I downsized it and kind of like redecorated it with some different block selections because I did not need the output that the Psycraft server required. Yeah, sure. Uh, but but even then, I th I think I understand how it works. Yeah. Uh, I know I know how the moss like bone meal and that kind of stuff works. There was a, a, some other things about like target blocks that I wasn't super sure on, but <laughs> I, like I just I kind of like well I know that Il Mango knows what he's doing, so I followed that. So how did you handle the like the water and like the collection stuff? I haven't got as far as the collection stuff yet. I'm presuming that, yeah, like a dispenser with a water stream or some trapdoors letting water out every so often or something like that will will be okay. Um, right now, the thing that really stumped me for the longest time was making a consistent stone generator because I'm used to cobblestone generators and the way they work, but with natural stone, you have to allow lava to flow on top of water and that really changes the way it works because if you let the water flow in from the side, it flows faster than lava, which means that if you want to move the stone blocks around using the kind of smart piston redstone torch underneath it kind of way that's not going to work because it's going to wash those away um which is what i use for cobblestone generators most of the time it's just a smart piston that moves the block as soon as it forms so 
uh, rethinking that approach and finding ways to refill the chamber with water before the lava drips in and then the water makes contact with it and it turns into cobblestone instead, that was kind of the stumbling block for me. And I've come upon a, a fairly easy solution that just dispenses and retracts water so that it forms water sources in a row and then that's what the lava converts as it goes. And, and so that's worked out fairly well. And I've managed to get that instead of using redstone torches and detecting it i've just put it on a fast enough timer that it will clear the blocks shortly after they're formed but it gives them enough time to form up so that we're not getting inconsistent areas of cobblestone because natural stone will be converted into moss but cobblestone won't um mm -hmm. and so that's really been the major stumbling block i think the rest of it is just going to be a matter of figuring out the timing figuring out the amount of area of moss i can create at once and then making sure the whole thing doesn't jam up over time and i'm not certain about the size of it either i think you know making it any larger than it is right now is going to involve multiple dispensers making sure that the moss keeps regrowing uh, and, and there isn't like a, a section of stone that gets missed out. So I'm still trying to work out the, you know, the scale of it. But overall, I need something that's just going to provide enough moss that I can get on with in uh, in the hardcore survival guide world and, and start landscaping stuff and using it for detail and that kind of thing. So I'm not after a massive amount. I think it's just going to be more fun to make a tutorial out of it by, by coming up with a, a slightly better moss generator. I might end up using it for bone meal, but the the whole reason I'm able to do a moss generator in the first place is because I now have a mob farm there, so I've now got bone meal from skeletons at my fingertips. So I'll probably end up working on some more of those. Um, the farming kind of line keeps going with Empire's SMP this week as well, because I am farming some pointed dripstone. I thought somebody else was going to be farming it en masse, and so I was kind of waiting for them to uh, start providing it for everybody else, and then I, I figured I may as well take matters into my own hands. I also ended up starting a lava farm using the pointed dripstone that I was gathering from my dripstone farm, and it needs a bit of babysitting, but they actually produce tons of fuel, <laughs> um, which is kind of a surprise, because I expected it to take a lot longer, but if you have a larger area of cauldrons it's kind of like gathering powdered snow you just sort of have to wait for it to happen but in the right conditions it happens relatively quickly and you get a cauldron of lava refilling about every minecraft day so about every like you know 20 okay. minutes or so and if you put like 80 cauldrons in a room then you start to reach a situation where if you leave it for five minutes, you come back, half of them are filled up by that point because, you know, it, it is still random. It's not like on a reliable clock that you end up uh, getting lava, but it's it's pretty consistent. And then if you end up, you know, gathering it all, by the time you're done gathering it, you turn around, there's another one or two that have filled up again. And so I'm now at the point where I need more iron because I'm running out of buckets for this stuff and I need to start using it as fuel. But if you are, you know, tired of going into the nether and grabbing lava out of a lake and that kind of thing, I honestly think this is a fairly decent way of farming lava at this point. If you're terraforming something for a biome or you need it for a larger scale farm or something like that it's it's not too bad you just got to have enough iron for cauldrons and buckets and then a handful of dripstone and you're off to the races i might actually do this because i was uh, thinking on the weekend as i had to uh smelt up some cracked bricks for all the decorating that i was doing and i just default to using the smelter that we have in the nether that's fueled by uh end rods but like eventually they're going to run out and i mean it doesn't take a long time but it is kind of a pain in the butt to go to the old school 
uh, a blaze farm and, and gather end rods. Mm-hmm. So having access to lava buckets, because again, when you're using this this giant smelter that has eight furnaces, well, I say giant, it's big for us. Um, having eight lava buckets would do what you're planning on doing because chances are you're putting eight stacks or more through this system. Yeah. And so having access to to lava buckets in that way would be good. And I happen to have a dripstone farm that I set up. It's manual, it's small, but I set it up next to the medieval town that I'm working in. So like every time I look at it, when I think about it, which is like once a weekend, it's full of dripstone because like it just goes so slow, but I'm, the area is loaded for 12 hours of gameplay every week. So um, I would imagine if you put that lava dripstone farm kind of like in a zone where you're just around all the time uh then yeah i mean i can see it being very um profitable yeah i mean i've tied it into the lore of the area right now so there's going to be like a dripstone cave off in the desert that kind of has a an open mouth to it that looks like teeth of of the dripstone kind of hanging down and so it's like you know an area where in the vague story of this area like you know kids would dare each other to go in and they'd be like no i don't it's too scary kind of thing too dark and mm-hmm. and dangerous and there's all these sharp rocks and stuff in it but then that as a you know stylistic feature as an aesthetic feature is just concealing a an area that i can go down to via scaffold ladder and there's you know the farms and stuff are down there so trying to to tie it into that as well but also have it be far enough out of the way that I'm not hearing the lava constantly because it's like having a nether portal next door. You know, you, you hear quite a lot of it and you get paranoid that there's just lava around you that you're hearing. Um, but then it's close enough that when I'm working in the center of the town, I still have that area loaded in so that I can just hop over and get some more lava whenever I need it. And using lava as fuel really, like you said, is down to the ratio. It's down to like how much stuff you're putting in. So I'm not necessarily going to be using lava to smelt all of my, you know, gold and copper and that kind of stuff because eventually a bucket of lava is going to be overkill for that. But when it comes to like mass smelting smooth sandstone or something like that for builds, then that's going to yeah. be going to be pretty ideal, really. Remind me what? How many items is a bucket uh, of lava smelt? Is it hundred? It's a hundred. Yeah. So you've really got yeah. to have like a hopper system for it to take full advantage of the amount of smelting power you have unless you want to babysit yeah. your furnaces so yeah it's it's worth it i think it's uh it's it's worth doing the the next most effective thing is a block of coal that smelts 80 items per per block so yeah it's it's a a worthwhile investment i think and and renewable lava is just super easy to set up more so than i expected um Last points of news for me, uh, I've wrapped up my latest stint of Minecraft RTX, although I might actually dip into the RTX capabilities of the latest Minecraft Bedrock beta because they now have access to all of the um, experimental terrain features and stuff. We'll cover that in the in the news read later. Um, but wow. I, was, I was doing a bit more work on this castle build. I think it looks great, even though it's still currently unfinished. It was always going to be an aesthetic thing rather than a functional, you know, base or anything like that. And just looking at the castle on a hilltop with realistic lighting on it is is tons of fun. It's it's a very very cool uh, way to wrap up that series. So I'm uh, I'm hoping that I'll do a little bit more stuff with RTX in future. But I want to refocus now on the hardcore guide and the Empire stuff. So I'm uh, I'm I'm gonna refocus on those series. But really enjoyed the Minecraft RTX stuff while it was. Uh, a possibility any inspiration from your vacation in wales in terms of modern lighting on very old structures 
Uh, I, we weren't there at a time when I could really have seen it, but there there might have been uh, like you know spotlights and stuff around St David's Cathedral. I'll have to see if I can find some pictures of it at night because maybe they do stuff like that. But uh, yeah, there's definitely some good pictures of landmarks like that around the UK that are lit similar. So just do a bit of googling. I expect people will be able to find some some worthwhile reference pictures for sure. Well, for me this week on the Citadel, uh, I wrapped up the interior design on the. Um blacksmith stables that we worked on last week uh did not take as long as i thought it's actually quite a small build uh but uh what really helped me out was integrating it into the church next door and the blacksmith um on the other side of it so and i did that with like some path work and uh and some detail work and it took a little bit to get the inside right because it is on a 45 degree angle and you're trying to make squared stalls that look like a horse might go inside uh, I, I, I don't know if they're necessarily big enough or horse safe. I don't know if I'm planning on actually putting a Minecraft horse in there. Uh, a lot of comments when I was making it was that, you know, some of the horses might be able to climb up on some hay blocks and get mm-hmm. out at which point I just, I would probably try to tether them. But if like, if I did it once and then get out, then fine. I'm just not worried about yeah, it. Yeah. There's, I, there's just a horse in the town now. Like it's, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> we'll just leave it. Um, the challenging part about the whole area, um, after getting the details on the, the thatch roof and the, um, uh, and, and the, the details of the stable was actually working on the cobblestone and i use that in like the general terms not just just the block cobblestone for minecraft but the cobblestone look that i wanted for the uh, market square which is the area kind of out in front of the church uh, i put a well in the middle uh, nothing crazy just kind of like a one block high kind of um, stone and and block combination have some vines and some mossy cobble kicking around in there too where it would have been wet um, use some smooth stone some natural stone, cobblestone, and tough. And I'm on the fence about the tough. At the time, I liked it. Uh, and then sometimes when I come back to the screenshots uh, later on, especially with shaders on, I kind of go, oh, I don't know if that necessarily meshes as well as I thought it did when I was in the game. Uh, so I'm back and forth on on tough in this particular area. I used it successfully with the with the warehouse uh, a little while ago but that had more deep slated and it had more cracked stone and stuff going on so not really sure i find cobblestone still very difficult to work with in minecraft in large areas and have it not look too noisy so trying to break that up with a block that doesn't stand out has been challenging but uh the thing that i found um the most fun was um adding in and uh, in some pictures in, that i've shared in the chat it's it's not quite as obvious but there's a lot of greenery now uh and i say a lot but it's like it's a lot for a stone area there is an archway uh that connects the stone church to the uh stables and it's not very big it's only a, a, like a, as wide as a minecraft wall like the wall block mm-hmm. uh, but that combined with a vine going over the archway just really helps feel makes the area feel like it's been around a while. So like you build the church, then the stable gets built and then someone says, well, we need something in here. And then eventually the vine grows over the thing and just it just feels a lot more um, lived in. And uh, the church courtyard is the last thing in this area. Uh, I haven't done anything in the courtyard. It's all just coarse dirt at the moment. But in looking at some reference pictures and um, in particular, I've been looking at like miniatures. So think like model train scale but obviously there's no trains because they're meant to be medieval type things and i'm not sure what the purpose of these are i don't know whether they're meant for just 
model hobbies or whether they're meant to go in like RPG games, tabletop games, whatever. But when you have these cobbled streets in, in medieval type town settings, there's no grass anywhere. Mm -hmm. And, um, so it's difficult to try and decide and, and figure out how to separate a path that you want a player to kind of look down and go down from the noise of just having bricks and cobble everywhere. Uh, because Minecraft just gives you a whole lot of blocks that are all the same color gray. You know, you've got gravel and andesite and cobble and stone and stone bricks and cracked stone bricks. And so it was difficult to try and choose the blocks for the path and then try to choose blocks that would also be stone and also be meant to be placed stone, but then have it try to create the edge to a path. And it was not the, not the easiest thing. And I don't know if it's quite successful yet. Um, in some ways it might've worked, but it might also be too straight of a line. Um, the path to the right of the church is a pretty straight 45 degree angle. So I might want to try and move that around, maybe change its, its origin point to be more in front of the bakery, that kind of thing. So there's, there's more kind of, I call it tinker work, you know, like the kind of thing where like you just kind of sit there for a couple hours and kind of like break blocks and move things around until you finally figure out the right feel. Um, I do find that andesite has been helpful because it's such a, a different texture and such a brighter texture. It will try to uh, provide a good contrast for something like a stone brick so that it will stand out, which is nice. Um, but yeah, it's it was um, it was a lot of fun to just kind of like tackle a big area and do basically nothing but texture work for an entire stream mm -hmm. this weekend uh it, it really worked out worked out well um did a little bit of road extension and stuff like that um ended up this ended the stream up doing some farming of materials like stone and wood and things like that but that's you know every once in a while you kind of have to refill the shulker boxes after you do yeah a big job like this um but it's really cool having finished the the at least initial pass of all the cobblestone going down so that it feels like all the buildings are now planted. Like they don't feel like they're just individual builds that are connected on like dirt. And then and the only reason that they're connected is because they're on the same plane. Mm -hmm. uh, these are now, you can, it looks like people have placed stone walkways everywhere. Yeah. And it really does start to feel a little bit more like a traversed area. Um, I'm still battling what to do with the proper road textures for the main roads that go like from the gates into the town, because I do want to maintain the fact that I'm going up in half slabs in a lot of my roads, which limits the blocks that I can use for textures in some areas because we don't have everything in slabs. Um, but, uh, so far so good. It's, it's one of those things that I think because it's my first medieval town, because I'm purposely not looking at other Minecraft towns of this nature so i don't end up just copying what other people have done um it's there's a little bit bit of beating my head up against the wall with trying to figure out what textures work and what textures don't um but it's also been a fun exercise from an artistic standpoint to say like okay well i've got six different shades of gray here how can i balance this from a tonal perspective uh and just kind of make sure that it doesn't heavy favor one block over the other so um the the thing right now that I, I think stands out and I, I like so much is the well. It adds a nice little a bit of color and function to the main square, which yeah. would otherwise just be a great big open space. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I like the well as like a central element. It really sort of 
it, it gives a roundabout kind of feel to me. Like it, you can sort of imagine yeah. people walking around a specific way around this area and not like just bumping into everybody constantly. It kind of gives this central sort of spindle for everybody to rotate around as they travel to all of these different places. And yeah, it, it does just add an element of like it being a community space as well. If it's where people get their water, if it's just a, you know, the, the kind of medieval equivalent of a water cooler, it's where people go to, to just gather and gossip. Like just a single element like that, simple though it is, can create all kinds of, you know, um, you know, Im imaginary implications to it, which I think really helps with an area like that, especially as, as big as it is. And for what it's worth, I think the tough looks fine. I think it's the kind of thing that, you're probably overthinking it having been working on this area for that long and yeah. i think you know as somebody who just kind of dropped in you wouldn't give it a second glance if you were just visiting but it's the kind of thing that like as the artist doing this in the first place it's it's something that we we sort of struggle over and and tear our hair out when realistically people are going to just be like oh okay cool a road <laughs> and not think twice about the uh, the choice of materials unless they've got a really keen eye for that stuff I've had that experience when uh, walking through massive places like um, Minecraft Middle Earth or um, other builds that I've seen online where you're looking very closely like, wow, this road feels really good. And then when you look at it, you're like, oh my gosh, it's just cobblestone and bricks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and all it is is just me not paying attention to it as a builder and just walking down it as a player, you know? And uh, yeah, I think you're probably right. Like I need to try and take a step back, but um, I'm realizing that some of the pictures I've showed are actually works in progress. So there's been more done on it um, since and that the, the square doesn't necessarily have any edges and it is more of like a, a, a roundabout now, which is cool. I, I never even noticed that until you mentioned it. That's, that's a interesting observation because I do, I do want that path of the player to be uh, obscured. Like I don't want you to be able to walk straight through the middle of the square. I want you to have to go around, which means that you have to look at the inn and the bakery and the, you know, you have to look at all the things as you go around the circle. So. Yeah, it, it, it definitely provides a nice kind of focal point to it. And again, you talked last week, I think about steering players around and, and treating it as mm -hmm. like a, almost like a game design environment design exercise in that way. And uh, I think that's what elements like that do. So uh yeah can't wait to see more of it thanks man moving on into the news this week we have a new experimental snapshot that is experimental snapshot number five for java edition 118 you can find the article at minecraft.net it is the same article that they have been updating week to week here are the changes in experimental snapshot five when compared to experimental snapshot four peak your peaks in some areas mountains have jagged peaks uh, like in the beloved Bedrock Beta Mountains. Made mountain areas and peak biomes slightly larger on average. Ra raised the average mountain height, fixing an unintentional change from Snapshot 4 that made mountains lower and smoother. But then we had to lower the mountain height and again to fix the peakier peaks. So maybe it all evens out. We deliberately avoided having peaks or mountains that go above Y260 or so because we want players to have space to build cool stuff on the peaks. So any peaks that try to sneak too high get mercilessly cut off into a plateau. Fossils with diamonds no longer generate above deep slate level. We've moved swamps slightly more inland since they were leaking murky swamp water into the ocean. Also swamp trees can grow in slightly deeper water than before so swamp lakes should look less barren. 
cave carvers can carve red sand and calcite so those blocks aren't left hanging in the air. Tweaked the depth of rivers and the steepness of river banks. They are less likely to be super deep or get choked off in flat areas. Also, rivers integrate better with swamps. The river tends to get shallow and merge with the swamp instead of carving through. Far less disruptive to swamps. Small lakes features are no longer placed in dry and hot biomes like deserts, savannas, and badlands. Reduce the number of lake feature placements in other biomes as well. Small hills and overhangs, 3D noise in tech speak, generate more often in flat areas like in Snapshot 3. This was accidentally removed in Snapshot 4, causing flat areas to be a bit too flat and featureless. Reduce the amount of shattered terrain and the shattered savanna biome, replacing some of that space with flatter beaches instead. This is actually something that was mentioned in the show last week where uh, Gemini Tay and I talked about some tweets from Heinrich. Water springs can generate in more types of blocks, such as dirt and snow, increasing the likelihood of small mountain streams and waterfalls, also added springs to lush caves. Made badlands slightly smaller on average, just a bit, but don't worry, they still tend to be quite big. Re-added the jungle edge biome. If it stays, it will probably be renamed as it is in this iteration, it is not really an edge biome. The mushroom fields biome has been tweaked so it matches the shape of the islands better. The dripstone caves biome places stone blocks on the surface instead of grass blocks when leaking out of cave entrances. This should make dripstone cave entrances less grassy. Remove the height-based mob spawning change that was made in Snapshot 3. We appreciate the community's discussion about this. We decided to undo the change for now and we'll come back to this when we have more time. We also have Minecraft Bedrock Edition Beta 1.17.30.23, which, as I mentioned earlier, introduces the experimental terrain features we've already seen in the Java Edition Experimental Snapshot series. To summarize those from the uh, Bedrock Edition Beta article, these are new and improved terrain and biome generation algorithms that create more natural terrain and biome transitions. Improved surface decoration that detects the difference between when blocks are generated underwater and underground introduces large ore veins to world generation to add more strategy to mining, introduces noodle caves to world generation creating smaller pathways between bigger caves, introduces the possibility of dry cave entrances that make it easier to access the new noise caves, and introduces a new algorithm that finds suitable spawn positions closer to origin, also added logic to save and load subchunks by absolute y-index to support data-driven dimension height ranges, similar to the data pack versions that you'll find in Java Edition. This changelog also includes a bunch of technical changes and bug fixes, which we won't go into in their entirety here, but most notable among them being campfires and soul campfires now stacking in the inventory, which is one of the things that I found almost weirdly jarring when I went over to play Bedrock Edition for the RTX series. And also, Iron Golem spawning logic has been tweaked to better match Java Edition. And this isn't as dramatic a change as it sounds. I think it is just uh, about calculating where exactly golems spawn, and they spawn on the highest available block in a certain radius, depending on uh, you know where the villagers are to spawn them. So uh, it, it doesn't necessarily affect iron farms hugely, but it is worth noting. 
The other news this week is that Minecraft Dungeons is coming to Steam. From September 22nd, 2021, you'll be able to download the Minecraft Dungeons base game for about 20 bucks US on Steam. Uh, the Ultimate Edition, which includes the base game along with all six DLCs, will be available for $39.99 US. Uh, when you purchase the Ultimate Edition on Steam, you also unlock special bonus content in consisting of the entire game and all DLCs, soundtrack, and high-res artwork featuring each DLC setting. The Hero Edition, Hero Pass, and Season Pass will be discontinued from digital sales on August 31st, where you can, I think, find them right now on the Microsoft Store and on uh, MinecraftDungeons.net or from Minecraft.net. Uh, you'll no longer be able to buy them from those places on PC. They're going to be available on Steam instead. Uh, they'll be available in retail stores until stock runs out. Then a physical version of Minecraft Dungeons Ultimate Edition will be available in retail stores from October 26th, priced the same as the digital release at $39.99 US. Account migration is also now rolling out to more Java Edition players. Players are being invited to migrate their Mojang account over to a Microsoft account for a number of reasons, mostly including better security, two-factor authentication, that kind of thing. Microsoft accounts can be added to the vanilla Minecraft launcher the same way Mojang accounts could, and some of us may already have done this to play Minecraft Dungeons on PC, so you might be familiar with that already. There is a Java Edition account migration FAQ, which we're going to link in the show notes. That's at help.minecraft.net so if any of you are concerned about this change have issues with it or you know you're a parent wanting to help your child migrate their java edition account over then hopefully all of the answers should be available there so i haven't actually spun around in the experimental snapshot yet did you load it up and, and fly around in creative and take a look and see what's going on yeah i only really had time to take a look around in creative since i've been back I, I spent maybe half an hour in it earlier today uh mostly to find some of the stuff that was in snapshot 4 because there was mention of stony shores being adjusted so that they had more uh, stratification in them like so that the blobs of diorite and granite and stuff had been taken out in favor of like longer streaks and I was thinking a little bit more along the lines of okay this is going to feel a little bit more like mesa generation where there are going to be sort of individual bands of the stuff and so I was quite surprised to find that it was more like longer streaks that started inland and then came down to the shore and it may just be that i didn't find the right sort of generation but all of it ended up feeling i don't know a, a little bit more kind of streaky than it, it was before but not in the way i expected i guess um so I, I had a look around for that just to catch myself up on snapshot four and a lot of the stuff in snapshot five is you know fairly minor in the grand scheme of things like the the stuff like changes to swamps uh much as i love the uh the kind of the stuff that we cleaned up for the for the news read but the um you know the the character they're putting into it the swamps are grumpy about some of these changes i never i never expected them to be such a troublesome biome but uh yeah you don't really notice many of those changes from snapshot to snapshot because you can't really see what's wrong with them it's kind of like a not being able to see the wood for the trees kind of thing once you're once you're in the game but i looked around for some jagged peaks i think they look pretty cool um i even saw somebody sharing a screenshot from one that looked like the original 
uh, pixel art mountains video from the biome vote where, you know, Jens and Agnes were saying like, oh, this is a goat. We're considering adding one of these to Minecraft. It looks a bit like Jens, you know? Um, and somebody had found a, a Jagged Peaks that kind of looked like the pixel art in the background of that that I thought was was really funny. Um, so I've looked around at a bit of the landscape. I probably want to go in and survival at some point this week and take a, a closer look at it. Um, and the, the other stuff I wanted to touch on was the uh, water springs being able to generate in more types of blocks. This was another thing that I, I kind of misinterpreted a little bit because I, I immediately imagined like, oh, there's going to be mountain lakes that are going to have rivers flowing down from them because of what a spring is kind of in the, the real world. By water springs, it just means one water source. <laughs> uh, the kind of thing that you find a single water source in the stone in the side of like a shattered savanna that's, you know, falling all the way down to the ground. It's one of those. They just generate in more types of blocks is the point. So when you have a mountain biome where the peak is almost completely covered in snow, it is possible for a mountain stream to begin as a single water source block in that snow and then cascade down the side of a mountain, probably taking out a lot of powdered snow as it goes. Um, yeah. And and eventually I would like to see them approach stuff like rivers generating from larger mountain lakes and reservoirs, but I think it's good that since they are now changing the geology of those mountains, we're still getting some of the same features that we'd be used to and that mountain springs don't completely disappear the further into a mountain you get. I uh, was watching the Slice Lime recap for the Snapshot 5, and they there was a, a picture of the mountain spring example, and it was like the single wide water source that kind of zigzagged down the side of a snowy peak, and mm -hmm. it was really, really cool. Uh, it's the kind of thing where, you know, you, you get inspired to either do that yourself somewhere else or, or build around that or build somewhere where you can see it in the background, you know, on a regular basis. Uh, and I thought to myself, that looks amazing in that one instance. Yeah. I wonder how often it's going to be, oh, cool, a water source, trickle, trickle. And then the rest of the entire mountain is covered in water <laughs> yeah. as the way that mechanics go. Now, if the terrain is steep enough, then I think because of the way that water works, it'll just flow to the lowest, nearest block before it starts to spread out too much. So in a lot of ways, you could end up with those single wide zigzaggy mountain springs but uh when i've seen water coming down in in the snapshots personally in my survival game play they've quickly become six eight ten twelve blocks wide mm -hmm. uh, once they get a little bit lower so um it depends on how it all gets generated but it again it's neat and it's going to be good to have more of that and as they work more with the terrain then i think having those options is, is going to be uh going to be better i also really like the changes to swamps uh and I don't know why I didn't necessarily notice this before, um, but the moment that they said, we're going to stop rivers from like carving gorges through the middle of the swamps, I thought, actually, yeah, <laughs> that mm -hmm. makes a lot of sense. Not to mention that river watercolor is bright blue and the swamp watercolor is like this murky green now. And uh, it looks very strange when they combine on the surface. And you're just like, why is this weird thing happening? Um, and same thing with moving swamps inland. Uh, they were doing the same thing with um, shattered savanna and uh, beaches, trying to get the shattered savanna just not quite exactly on the ocean's edge, but pushing them back by half a biome, you know. And I think, again, moving swamps farther in from the sea uh, is is a better way to go. And it's not it's it's not a huge change, but I think those kind of subtle little things that make a little bit more sense 
uh, will help in Minecraft. It's akin to the biome temperature stuff that they've been playing with where you're not going to necessarily have like snow-capped jungle trees, like that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the other thing I, I got to look at was a change from last week, which is where they um, added veins of calcite to some of those higher mountain peaks. I know Jem was really excited about that because of access to calcite outside of geodes. So I, I managed to come across a couple of those. And I like that better than I like the uh, approach to the strata on stony shores because i think there's more terrain to play with i think that may be part of the problem i've encountered with the stone shores so far is not really finding enough places where it can stretch out one of those veins of material for a a longer stretch but i do like the fact that calcite is now available in in different places as well um that's very unique looking the the kind of vein drawn through the 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 landscape there it's um it's in an odd way. It, my gut reaction is it feels very un Minecraft. Like it looks like a player put it there. Yeah, and it, it almost like a world painter kind of. You just taken a brush and drag yeah. across that kind of thing. And it, yeah. it's funny that the example I found stretches from a snowy area of a mountain peak down through a more kind of open plateau of stone, and then down towards some grassland. And so it kind of does look like somebody's you know dragged a few snow golems through and if you if you're looking at it from a distance and you can't tell that it's calcite it's like you've got three snow golems on a lead and you just kind of pulled them towards this forest with you but uh either way i, th I think it's nice that those materials are available in different places and i think that's mostly what people are going to take away from it i don't see myself doing much with that as a an aesthetic feature of the environment you know it, maybe it's a built-in pathway that you can position some stuff around if you don't feel like building with a uh, a different path material but i think it's going to be nice to to grab those materials in other places um oh for sure one other change the last thing i want to cover from snapshot 5 really was them reverting the height-based mob spawning change that they made in snapshot 3 and uh, i think people were put a little bit on edge by the fact that they didn't do that last week uh because of or, or the week before because of um, you know, the community feedback largely being that this is either not affecting us or we don't like it. Um, so I, I'm glad that they've eventually decided to to roll that back. I think overall it's something that needs a much more considered approach when we're talking about the depth of gameplay that some players want. Because I think in terms of the range of people whose lives it was going to affect <laughs> i think it was largely more on the the negative effect for people and i honestly think like if they're going to overhaul mob spawning it needs more consideration put into it. it it needs a an approach almost similar to the amount of thought they're putting into terrain for this update if they want to change mob spawning that dramatically i think it needs to come with a whole bunch of other changes that they probably don't have too much time to do the um you know the the light dependent change being mobs only spawning in total darkness is one thing and i think that's going to be better in the long run that's definitely been much better received but i think if they want to consider more mob spawning changes i think that's going to have to come a little bit later when they don't have all of these other you know terrain changes and stuff to work on as well yeah the mob spawning change did kind of come out of left field in terms of what we've been seeing for changes and what they've been working on from the terrain and all of a sudden to kind of have that mob change in there. Uh, I do feel from the language used that they're probably going to change the way mobs spawn. Uh, the, how is obviously left up for debate now, yeah. but uh, I think it might be worth for players that do get, um, we'll say, 
vocal about about this as something that they do not want um i think they also have to be prepared for a change and be open to that uh and roll with it because i think that there's going to be a change coming um and i'm in the, the the camp of like it doesn't really affect my gameplay that much so i'm watching with curiosity but i'm not on the edge of my chair ready to jump up and down or or throw shoes you know like i'm just kind of watching from the sidelines so uh, but it does sound like they're still planning on changes in the future yeah and and it's good now that the bedrock edition beta is out for some of this experimental terrain to get more of a larger player base giving feedback on some of this stuff not necessarily just the mob spawning because i know mob spawning on bedrock is a whole different kettle of fish but um being able to test early performance on various devices uh, that have access to this beta and uh, being able to explore caverns with RTX lighting and that kind of stuff. Like, I'm I'm excited to see what the Bedrock community thinks of a lot of this stuff. I've already seen a lot of screenshots from mobile players and, and PC Windows 10 version players who are sharing some of the stuff that they found and excited that they get to experience some of the new terrain gen. So I think that's that's a, a really good... Um, a really good addition to the, to the roster of news this week is finally getting uh, some some bedrock players in there um have you had the account migration notice yet has that rolled around to you or uh, have you have you dodged it so far so far nothing yet uh i'm prepared like i i recently got the xbox series x back this uh, this march so like i have you know refreshed my passwords for microsoft and like i have all that kind of stuff easily accessible now so i don't think it's going to be too much of a headache uh especially because i'm a um xbox game pass ultimate subscriber so like again on both systems that i have I've, I've logged into microsoft repeatedly over the last little while so um i've not received a notification that my my account is going to be changed but i have seen the little gray banner at the bottom of the minecraft vanilla launcher that says like hey just fyi we're starting to roll this kind of stuff out so like be prepared like here's a here's a link to the faq which i think is great like it's nice that immediately under the play now button on your minecraft launcher there's a big notice that says if this is something you need to know more about here's the faq like right here mm -hmm. uh, so i think that's smart yeah, definitely. Um, I have been offered account migration for the account I use as my spectator mode camera account, but not my main account. Um, I'm not really bothered by it right now because um, I don't really want to migrate quite yet. I use multi-MC to manage the mods I use for series like Empire's SMP, where we have Lightmatica, if people want to use that. We have the replay mod, we have the simple voice chat mod. And managing all of that is possible through the vanilla Minecraft launcher, but I'm just used to multi-MC at this point. Um, having said that, I don't know if they still work for Minecraft, but I'm, I'm fairly certain that one of the people involved with multi-MC also worked on the vanilla Minecraft launcher. So it's entirely possible that while multi-MC is not going to take priority, Microsoft account support might be coming to that relatively soon. I think, in fact, some of the people uh, in the multi-MC Discord and our Discord uh, mentioned earlier that there is a possibility that a, a build is being worked on that involves Microsoft account support. Now those changes are starting to roll out to more people. So there is there is hope on the horizon, and hopefully it's going to be a smooth transition for everybody. Most of the people I've heard from who have made this change haven't really had any issues with it. I think the main issue is if your account is old enough that you just don't have access to that email address anymore, and you've just been logging in with old details for a while, or you know, something about your credentials has changed. But hopefully those are all things that can be resolved. The help 
article is pretty comprehensive about the majority of cases they expect to be seeing where people have problems with this process so yeah i i don't honestly think it's going to be a bad thing and i think i know a lot of people are suspicious of like microsoft doing anything regarding account stuff and 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 password control and that kind of thing but i i honestly think it's going to be better for everybody to have the option of having a more secure account and, and as somebody who's had my camera account stolen a couple of times and renamed and had to go through the process to get it back i think it's uh it's good that there is now a a way to re-secure stuff like that if they weren't going to add two-factor authentication to mojang accounts then the microsoft account system seems to work all right any thoughts on the the bedrock beta uh i will have to get in there and take a look um but having looked at previous betas where they had the mountains and stuff and and had added in um noise caves initially you couldn't really find those noise caves very easily because it had the problem where a lot of the cave entrances were flooded in kind of a similar way to how they were when the first experimental snapshots and even the uh, the, the data pack i think before the experimental snapshots started rolling out uh you found that basically any way of getting down into new cave generation was an aquifer um and i think now that's changed i'll be looking around with a, a, a lot more uh, enthusiasm i think the the problem now my biggest difficulty exploring stuff like that on bedrock is the lack of spectator mode because while i advocate for playing these snapshots in survival it is nice to be able to go straight to a feature and like once you're done looking around in survival if you haven't found what you wanted on java the option to just switch into spectator mode and fly through the scenery looking for a dripstone cave if you didn't find one or a lush cave or get down lower than you did when you were playing in survival um i think without that it's not a really it's not really possible to get a good overview uh, without just locking into a larger cave system and even in creative mode that takes time so it's kind of unfortunate the bedrock doesn't have access to stuff like that but uh i'm hoping that it might be added in future if not i expect it's going to be a longer process gathering feedback from bedrock players just because of the amount of extra work they have to put in to find those features in the first place but uh, yeah, I might look into it this week. I might see if I can report back for next week's episode uh, how the changes look in uh, the Bedrock beta. I might even have some juicy Minecraft RTX screenshots for you uh, if if I can spare the time this week. Nice. Let's get into some email, though. Uh, if you'd like to email the show and potentially have your question considered, uh, then the email address is spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. We've got a couple of emails for you this week. The first one comes in from Shepard, who is a landscape artist member of our Discord. And the subject is tree farming without TNT duping. Hi, Joel and Johnny. I like to play Minecraft without relying too much on what I consider exploits. For example, I don't build on the nether roof and I don't want to use TNT duping. It's working out fine for me. The only thing where I feel really limited is farming wood. I want various types of wood and I need lots of it for large build projects. It seems to be the only material that you always need a lot of, but it's still a grind at endgame if you play with intended mechanics. A lot of the other materials you can either farm with pistons or instamine with beacons or you destroy a desert for TNT. For a long time, I thought the answer could be a way to get something like TNT renewably, like a type of TNT based on soul sand, which you can get renewably from piglin bartering. This would certainly be the more versatile solution, but for wood, maybe the answer lies in having a way to be able to instamine it. Maybe a special axe enchantment or an effect like haste. Then the tree farm could basically be a block storage like people do for farming mushroom blocks. What do you think about these ideas, or do you feel like wood type still being a grind at endgame is fine for the game? 
Shepard suffocated in a tree. <laughs> a thematic, <laughs> thematic end. I've been punched in the face by a tree before, mm-hmm. growing them for the first time in Minecraft, standing too close to the sapling, and all of a sudden, back! <laughs> yes. You're two blocks farther back from where you started, and you're like, why does my forehead hurt? Uh, I do find wood to be a grind, and uh, I'm a little bit on the easy street side of this because most of the wood that I'm using in this medieval town build that has lasted almost a year in terms of my Twitch content has been either spruce or dark oak. Both of those are the lesser of the tree evils when it comes to harvesting by hand because they're big fat trees and they're um, you get a decent amount of saplings back, especially from spruce. Uh, and uh, you can use some different techniques to to get them. I just did this actually on the weekend. We ran out of sp- spruce or we're running low. I had a few minutes left in the stream and thought, I'll, I'll, I'll harvest some spruce, we'll get some stone. And uh, I used the technique where you um, throw an enderpearl straight up and then immediately bone meal the four saplings on the ground. And by the time the tree grows, your enderpearl hits the top of it and then you just mine mm-hmm, down. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a bit of an advanced you know, technique, I'd say maybe a mid game advance, depending on how much access you have to ender pearls, but we've got an absolute ton on the server. So it's not a, a problem for us. Um, so I've never bothered making a TNT tree farm. Uh, I just harvest spruce that way. And because spruce is so easy with the amount of saplings that you get to get a lot of, uh, I use it for things like chests that go into hoppers or shulker boxes. Uh, anytime I need Sticks, even though I know there's villager trades for sticks and you can get sticks from leaves from all the trees, I just kind of make sticks out of spruce. Like I tend to use spruce for a lot of stuff that is like sub block level. Um, and then uh, again, dark oak, it's something we we do manually, but we have it set up uh, where I've got enough of a dark oak forest farm in the um, in the modern city area where there's a dozen trees. By the time you're done harvesting the 12th tree, the first one you planted has grown again, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So the, you can have a pretty seamless supply. It still involves chopping, but because dark oak are not super tall, it doesn't take forever to get them down. Um, but I do find it, it's a time consuming process and you do um, notice it when you go from like, um, speed mining out something like a, a, a foundation for a modern building uh, and that with a beacon and then you go to harvest some wood and it, it the harvesting time gets it's twice as long uh, as normal and so I'm surprised that there isn't an end game solution for something like haste on an axe or have an axe be uh, affected by a beacon so it would be very similar to like you know putting up a beacon near your tree farm and then that way you can just blitz through the the wood the same way that you do stone it's odd that you can destroy stone so quickly in minecraft but yet you can't do the same thing with wood which one would consider a softer material the Um, the thing is on bedrock edition you can um bedrock edition players can instamine wood using a haste 2 beacon and I, I assume an efficiency five axe. It's not something I've done myself because the wither is such a pain on Bedrock Edition and I don't play that often. Um, right. But Bedrock Edition also doesn't have 100% item drops from TNT, so it's kind of a trade-off. Um, right. Like, I think in Java Edition, it's not been possible to do it for so long that players have found other ways around it, and you know it's required a bit of player innovation to come up with ways of mass farming wood that maybe now Mojang doesn't want to you know sweep all of that away by just saying oh yeah you can instamine wood now uh i kind of wonder if maybe that's the the trade-off the reason why we don't have a a better way of mining wood is because players eventually come up with solutions to problems like that that they don't really want to negate the amount of community effort that goes into that stuff 
I think, though, that we are burying the lead from Shepard's email. Soul TNT is, is yeah. a concept I can get behind. Like, why hasn't yeah. this been done already? I mean, there's probably a mod for it, but I think making TNT out of soul sand has a lot of interesting potential. Like, could it implode rather than explode? I can imagine, like, you know, uh, an implosion effect, maybe almost like a a gravity sort of effect pulling you in towards the source giving you damage in the same way that an explosion might but then maybe all of the drops from that get collected in towards the center and then that makes them easier to collect in a hopper or something like that like i i have a couple of vague ideas for this that i'm i'm curious if they are possible in the realm of minecraft physics but i feel like salty nt is something that might have been added in the nether update if they planned to do it but you never know um Especially with them revisiting combat at some point soon and mechanics like whatever's coming along with the Warden where it's potentially going to have a way to avoid players cheesing it by, you know, hopping up onto a pillar or something like that. I, I can imagine some more, like, some more ways to damagingly move people around. <laughs> something, something a little bit more high-tech than a fishing rod uh, could be kind of interesting for, for the long term in the game. So... I think salty NT is something that I would I would be very interested in in seeing if it was possible and again renewable. I'm also very interested in having a renewable sand at some point because it's used for so much stuff, glass TNT, concrete powder, that sort of thing. That um, yeah, even even stuff like sandstone, which I am constantly running out of building in a desert. Uh, I think renewable sand would probably be a good idea, but I really like the idea of TNT based on soul sand. In the meantime. Um, and as for like the wood stuff, like I tend to like my, my routine is to do chopping Tuesday on my Twitch stream where I, I will log in and basically chop wood for three hours. And even then I don't end up with all that much because some of the trees are a pain to farm and there's some types of wood I'm prioritizing more than others. And I'm just talking to my chat as I'm doing it. But I do think it's it's nice to establish routines like that. You were talking earlier about logging in on your Twitch stream and just spending the entire session detailing stuff. And I find that Minecraft works better if you sort of break it down into larger tasks like that and something that you can maybe zone out, listen to a podcast, put a TV show on your second monitor or, you know, put some music on or something and just, you know, do one task for a for a reasonable amount of time. And that's what I tend to do with wood. So... A lot of the time, while it is necessary throughout the game and even into endgame, I find myself, you know, staying pretty level on the amount of wood that I have because, you know, I, I, I take the time to farm it every so often. I can see that being a frustration for people who don't have a full-time schedule dedicated to Minecraft, though. So, yeah, I think, aside from the technical option, there could be a way to rebalance trees in favour of more casual players being able to get lots of them. Um... I'm not entirely certain what that is, but uh, the answer maybe lies in Soul TNT. I like the idea of Soul TNT or renewable TNT, uh, just in some form of trade or whatever, uh, because I don't have a TNT duper on the Citadel. We don't have a tree farm, but we have a concrete farm. Mm -hmm. I use I have a concrete farm in the modern city uh, because of just how much concrete you use in a, in a cityscape like that. And... Uh, it's not a huge problem. Like I, we have a creeper farm, which is cranking out overtime. So like we never have to worry about about gunpowder. Uh, and then I just go to the desert with, you know, uh, a speed potion and uh, rip through a ton of sand. 
and it basically just kind of bring yourself up with like a shulker box of sand and a shulker box of of gunpowder or even go even go farther and make a shulker box of tnt uh and that lasts a while like it's not like we go through it and i think there is a little bit of a just like a, a public misnomer with the popularity of very busy, very technical SMPs on YouTube that give the impression that things like TNT duping is essential mm-hmm. when really you don't have to put that much time into collecting sand, like half an hour. And you're going to have a lot of it. If you're at end game with, you know, if you want TNT for like early game, well, yes. Okay. That's going to take a while. But like if you've got potions and beacons and you know, efficiency shovels at your disposal, then getting this kind of stuff uh, in a session, like you spent, like you mentioned in like a, a task, like I'm just going to go make as much TNT as I can for the next, you know, 30 or 60 minutes. And I, I bet that TNT will last you longer than you think if you're using another tree farm and not using like a, a TNT duper. Um, I, I think that the idea of having renewable sand is probably the most will say likely interim solution for this would be a trade for sand somewhere. And I don't know where that would be, but that, that to me would be the, the way to do it. Or um, like uh, Shepard said, have another way to make TNT. So give players choices as to how they want to make their TNT. If they don't want to destroy deserts or if they want to use their sand in the deserts for glass and concrete and not TNT, then having soul sand t- TNT um, give you, you know, maybe you just don't care about a soul sand biome in the, in the nether. Maybe the one that you have is in an ugly location anyway, and you're fine with just ripping it down. And and I think that just giving players more options to either make TNT or give T, give soul TNT different properties, maybe at least make it blue. <laughs> you know, yeah. like that would mm-hmm. be kind of fun. Um, I don't know. My thought for soul TNT, because it's the nether, because things are dangerous, is a bigger blast radius. Like just make it twice as much, you know? Um, d- does that then change the landscape of how people look for um, netherite? You know, there's a, a lot of implica- implications as to how taking TNT could be far- farther, not just in, in tree farming. But uh, but yeah, I do agree that I think there there could be a tweak here and there to make tree farming at endgame later, uh, at, later in the endgame a little bit easier. I don't use birch and acacia very much because of how much of a pain it is to harvest. Mm-hmm. Acacia specifically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Acacia and azalea are kind of like that, where, like, I love an azalea right. tree, but it's it's also just those occasional logs that just keep the leaves hanging in midair. The, 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 the hidden logs are always the uh, the worst. But, uh, yeah, some some interesting thoughts there, and maybe the genesis of something great if they decide to add salty and tea to the game later. Our next email comes from Iridium Steve, an uh, avid listener, and was wondering about Minecraft Carpentry. Hi, Joel and Johnny. I've been listening to the Spun Chunks for a few months after learning the basics of Minecraft, mainly from the Minecraft Survival Guide. I really enjoy the in-depth discussions you have about the game and interviews with developers. Thanks for the great podcast. I'm also enjoying Empires and the Hardcore Survival Guide now. Also the Citadel, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. When 117 allowed the stone cutter to create copper blocks stairs more efficiently, it seems to me that there should be a block in the game to allow wooden stairs and slabs to be created. Obviously, you can use the crafting table, but you get poor wood ratio unless you apply a mod or data pack like on the Hermitcraft server. I propose the carpentry block, which would function for the player like the stone cutter, but for wood. Perhaps you could even allow... uh, a step to be skipped in crafting logs 
as well as planks to be directly converted into stairs, slabs, etc. You would just get four times as many items out of a log as you would from a plank. It could also be a work block for a new villager type, the carpenter. The, the carpenter could accept logs or planks to trade for emeralds at low levels. The type of wood they want at low level would match the biome they're in. So oak or birch for plains villages, spruce for taiga villages, etc. At higher levels, they could accept exotic wood types for more emeralds. That would be wood from other biomes dissimilar to the village biome, such as a taiga village accepting jungle trees and all that kind of stuff. They could offer other trades where they would accept emeralds for things like signs, fence posts, stairs, and other wooden products. Maybe they don't exist in desert villages, no, there's no trees, or the trade uh, of any wood type in that biome because the wood is so scarce. The main driver of this idea is to give players in Minecraft a quote-unquote fair way to make stairs, but it could be uh, a new villager profession as a pleasant side effect. I'd be interested to hear what you think of this type of villager and what this might add to the vanilla game. Iridium Steve didn't want to live in the same world as a shulker and didn't have Elytra yet. <laughs> Get that Elytra, Iridium Steve. Um, you have some familiarity with this. You already use a data pack, right, that has uh, allows you to use the stone cutter to craft wood stuff as well. Am I, am I correct in that? You are, yeah. And it's uh, it was pretty easy to create. Uh, and it just basically is a series of recipes uh, all um, allowing the stone cutter to then use logs and planks to create the different wood, wood um, products. And I did precisely what uh, Iridium Steve suggested that if I put a log in, I get more stairs or more things um, from it because instead of using a plank to create um, like uh, two slabs, if I use a, a log, I'll get eight slabs because there's four planks in a log, that kind of stuff. Uh, we did tweak the ratios a little bit just for easy math and to make things a little bit lighter. So trap doors, you get a little bit more, I think, for a log than you would by crafting six planks into two or three craft door, trap doors um, just to kind of speed up things for players that are a little bit busy. Um, but really for me, it's just the ease of use. It's it's being able to go up to the stone cutter for everything I need as far as stairs, slabs, and sub blocks. Uh, and then know all I need to do is have a shulker box full of logs. And then from those logs, I can build anything I want as I go. I don't have to like craft in the planks and then draw the stair shape and like all that kind of stuff. Now, I don't have fence recipes or fence gate recipes in that. In the, It just got the math just got really noodly and I thought, well, you know what? I don't use those that often. So I'll be able to just make those in, in the, the regular crafting table yeah. as normal. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, but I've, I've found it quite, quite handy. Uh, and, um, I, unfortunately I think that the fact that those kind of data packs are pretty easy to make might mean that you're probably not going to get, um, that specific table for, for Minecraft. Um, cause I think the real, advantage there is not necessarily just like the the quote-unquote fair return for um making stuff in the crafting table because i mean like if you're making something in real life with wood there's going to be some loss like as you're cutting things away there's little scrap pieces that just don't get used because you're creating a shape out of something that is a different shape so i'm okay with like stair ratios and things like that the only reason the trapdoor thing was changed for us was just because we wanted to have a little bit extra oomph on, on the server where there's a bunch of busy adults playing but the the thing that i think would be uh interesting uh 
to perhaps address the issue that uh, uh, Shepard mentioned above is having some sort of wood trade. And that's where I think that a, a carpenter villager or maybe a lumberjack villager, something to that nature would, would be interesting in that you could then use emeralds to perhaps buy trees that you haven't found yet, uh, exotic saplings. You could uh, use emeralds to have a log trade, which would eliminate the need for TNT duping or like those kind of um, things. Uh, there's already a precedent for this in that you can trade with masons to get quartz blocks rather than going to the nether to harvest quartz. Now, you still need raw quartz for redstone, but like if you don't have any interest in redstone or you're using quartz to build a lot of things with, you don't necessarily have to go to the nether to get that quartz to then turn into blocks, which is a bad ratio anyway. By the time you convert your quartz crystals down into blocks, it's not very good. So um, I, I think having a trade for, with a villager for wood products, if not logs, would be would be an interesting addition to the game. I don't know how that balances out, but uh, given that there's a lot of things that we can get in the game through villager trades right now, it doesn't seem like it's much of a stretch. As far as the saplings trade goes, the wandering trader already has those. You just have to make sure he turns up with the right ones, which is always a, a bit of a, a gamble. Um, but yeah, I, I, I do wonder about adding stuff like this to villages. The idea buried in this email that i want to pull out really is the idea of there being specific trades for biome specific villages because obviously mm -hmm. not not every village is necessarily going to have like you know there is no dark oak village right so you're not necessarily going to have a dark oak trade from one of those you could end up with it coming from somewhere else um but there are jungle villages where you have to make a jungle village cure a villager from a jungle biome uh, in order to get hold of them, but then that maybe gives you access to the jungle wood. I really like the idea of that being expanded to other materials as well. Like if we're talking about, yeah, the renewable sand thing or having more access to sandstone, it'd be great if Desert Village stonemasons traded me sandstone so that I didn't have to go and dig it all up from the surrounding area to build the stuff I'm building right now. And I think it could potentially be a good expansion if they revisit villages in future. I think the problem is they've done that so recently in the grand scheme of Minecraft update history that I think they probably don't want to touch villages for a little while now. <laughs> uh, I, I don't expect we're, we're going to see a huge amount of changes to, uh, to villager trades for the next little while, but I'm not certain how I feel about there being a dedicated workstation for wood stuff because then... I feel like so much functionality ends up getting removed from the crafting table that the crafting table is just there to tinker with other recipes like, you know, use a crafting table when you want a piston or something like that. And the rest of the time, there are all these other specialized workstations. Maybe the advantage there becomes that the crafting table does everything, but I do think it's just another kind of specialization that, you know, makes the game feel a little bit more piecemeal at that stage and, and not unified around a central mechanic of the crafting tables. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm not entirely certain. I'm in two minds about whether a work block is really going to be the way forward for that. But I can see, you know, your argument in that the data pack version of that is easy enough to make. It's easy enough to add recipes for yourself in Java edition that you can add something like this. And that sort of takes the, uh, the onus off of Mojang to add something 
universal that's just going to be part of vanilla minecraft because if players find themselves inconvenienced by stuff like this they can tweak the game a little bit to their advantage if they want to and it all depends whether or not you think that is in the spirit of vanilla i suppose but even then it seems like a a decent solution to iridium steve's problem if uh if if that is the case and i think that's where i came from going at the data pack was i really wanted to try to maintain as close to a vanilla feel as possible and really what i found is that uh, i wasn't using the stone cutter very much even when i had stone stuff to do because i had to use the crafting bench for for wood i just kind of used the one block but now i find myself very frequently putting down both i'll put down the stone cutter and i'll put down the crafting table and I get into the crafting table for things that require that nine by nine grid of stuff, you know, concrete powder, like stuff like that, pistons. But then when I get into just really wanting to quickly create stairs and, and slabs and stuff like that as I go, uh, I just like the one click with even even eliminating the the search in the crafting table. Like you go into the crafting table and you click over on the search in the in the recipe book, you start typing in stair or slab. And then you can just go ahead and do your right clicking and stuff. But I find like just that one last task to do when you're crafting something in Minecraft as, as often as I have to craft things really does kind of expedite the process, at least from a, I don't know, it's just one more thing that that's out of the way as I'm wanting to get back to building quickly, but I have, I've run out of slabs. I don't want to spend the time to like try to figure out how to make slabs if I don't have any planks. I just have logs. It just, I find it just removes that one more obstacle and makes me get back to building a little bit faster well seeing as that you are fresh back from the real world uh you wanted to talk about realism in minecraft uh, and the minecraft landscape this week yeah this was kind of prompted by a couple of things first of all uh a photograph that i shared from my holiday snaps earlier of the welsh coastline and and some of the geology around the Pembrokeshire coast which is like a lot of the strata and like I said earlier the um the the changes that I expected them to have made reading the changelog in experimental snapshot 4 to stuff like stone shores and thinking you know this doesn't necessarily feel all that realistic to me having just looked at these fantastic cliffs but also a tweet from Henrik Nieberg actually uh, saying where he was trying to figure out how to get aquifers to play nice with ocean floors. He says, ideally, you should be able to swim through an ocean cave and into the underground lake and then pop up in a dry cave system. Realistic? No. Fun? Yes. And also making for a quick, fun way to exit the underground. And so I kind of was reading through the responses to this and some people were just talking about like whether or not this was realistic and it's Minecraft, does it have to be realistic? And so the debate has kind of resurfaced now that there is more height variation and diversity in minecraft's terrain how much should minecraft strive to emulate the real world and how does that affect the way we play because let's be real minecraft is not a realistic game um and it also ties in a little bit to the email we got two weeks ago about having more realistic oceans i mean I looked up the the the, the statistics and roughly seventy percent of the Earth's surface is ocean. Should that really be true of Minecraft if it's trying to emulate the real world? I kind of think not, because having seventy percent of the you know the entire Minecraft landscape being not landscape being ocean uh, doesn't necessarily add up to a good game experience, and that's really going to be where the tipping point of this idea of realism comes from is you know, what's good for gameplay 
balance. Minecraft's scale exists to make resources accessible and you know, mountains in the real world aren't going to cap out at 200 meters from ground level. Um, I, I looked up the Marianas Trench in the Pacific Ocean. It's over 10,000 meters deep, which in itself is about 25 times the height of a 1.18 Minecraft world. Um, and so I thought it was just strange that we keep coming back to this idea of realism in Minecraft. And I'm going to pitch for if not necessarily like a complete change in the way we talk about things, then an understanding of what we mean when we say realism. Because I feel like what we're talking about with realism is really familiarity. Because Minecraft is kind of like an interpretation of what we've seen in the real world and distilling that down into more simplified elements and inspiration from the real world. You know, you're still looking at grassland and animals and trees and and mountains and so forth but you're not seeing them in realistic ways you're seeing blocky versions of them but like an impressionist painting your mind kind of fills in the gaps a little bit um how do you feel about that as a definition joel do you think it is do you think realism is really a word that applies or are we just sort of saying realism when we mean something different i think realism is the term that people are using without a better word to describe because minecraft being so voxel based that it just becomes very difficult to try and describe what you mean when the game has such limitations in terms of mimicking the real world and i like what you said about interpretation because mm -hmm. as an artist specifically as a cartoonist uh interpretation and simplification are two of the tools that i use when i want to do something like draw a coffee cup mm-hmm uh, it's literally just a couple of, uh, of um, ellipses with a handle on it uh, and a couple of straight lines. And people will go, oh, that's a coffee cup. But if you look at what a coffee cup actually looks like in real life and the nuances of the curve of the handle and all that kind of stuff, um, not very many of them Many of them have handles shaped like a C. They're often more shaped like a, the human ear, right? But I don't draw coffee cups like that. Uh, but people still know it's a coffee cup. And I think that on a, a simpler level that kind of illustrates what Minecraft is trying to do. You're interpreting the real world and trying to use the tools within the game to give an approximation therein. Uh, it's stylized and that is the charm of Minecraft. It's one of the appeals of the game is that it's not as complicated as real life. Uh, I've seen streams lately of, of survival video games that have pickaxes and axes and you have to go around and harvest like iron and trees and everything looks very real. It's beautiful graphics, but it just seems like, well, this just feels like uh, real life. Like, why would I want to do this? I don't want to do this in real life, mm -hmm. but there's something appealing about that cartoony nature of Minecraft that has some fun, some levity to it. And you can compare, I think, the progression of Minecraft towards a more, again, giant air quotes, realistic landscape to uh, something like the uh, animated films from Pixar. If you look at the rendering and the backgrounds in something like the first Toy Story film, compared to more recent offerings like Onward or Luca, which are in the last couple of years, Luca mm -hmm. just came out this year. Yeah, um, They're still animated, they're still cartoons, but they've gone from attempting to make it look real to making a very stylized version of real. Uh, they're very fun. They're very colorful. Something like uh, Onward is a great example because it is a very made up world, but uh, you've got things in it like vans and 
and surfboards and, and cell phones and things that we are all very familiar with. And they managed to still dumb it down into basic shapes, basic functions, so that you as a viewer can understand what's going on without having to look at that and say like, oh, that's specifically a certain model phone or laptop or something. You don't need to get into that kind of de detail. And I think that's what happens with Minecraft is that they want to give you the impression of a mountain, the feeling of rolling hills, the um, experience of deep diving in the ocean with, you know, really you're only going down 60 meters, you know, or 30 meters at that sometimes. So like that kind of stuff, I think, uh, is where Minecraft has some strength going forward. And as they're rolling into more ways to uh, inspire players with landscapes. I mean, like landscape inspires people in the real world. And I think that overworld or other, otherwise, new gener generation of terrain is getting closer to the real geological formations on Earth. When you're comparing it to the old jagged extreme hills biomes and floating blocks, I think it's a step in the right direction. Uh, I think that it's still to me a cartoony approximation of the real world. And I don't think it's getting, we'll say, you know, quote unquote, too realistic. Uh, because you're always, because of the limitations of Minecraft, you're always going to be given an interpretation or an approximation. Yeah. And it, it's it's funny that you bring up like, you know, the geological formations of, of Earth, because like, even though Minecraft adds new minerals quite frequently, I mean, in the Caves and Cliffs update, we've had, you know, tough calcite, amethyst, geodes. We've had, like, you know, all kinds of other decorative stone types added. We've had deep slate now as well. It still doesn't come close to the geological diversity of Earth. But, you know, for good reason. I think it would be a, a lot of stuff to add. It would be overwhelming for people and then finding all of it <laughs> would be a problem if you wanted to have one of everything and as somebody who has tried to make a build that had one of everything in it you kind of you, you feel that even now with the the fairly limited amount of stuff we have and you know obviously way more diversity is is possible um minecraft also doesn't have poles the way earth does and so there's no need for an accurate climate. And that's something that you end up seeing in uh, Henrik's tweets about the temperature map that they're using to determine where warm and cold biomes are and, you know, the transitions between them. It's a Jackson Pollock painting rather than a steady gradient from cold to warm and then to cold again, which obviously the real world isn't necessarily and there are so many other factors involved. But that that level of complexity is just something is something familiar to us. But then Minecraft interprets that as well this world is flat and you know virtually infinite so that you can't expect people to go all the way to one edge of the world to encounter the cold terrain that's actually going to be a significant part of gameplay and biodiversity and you know that's where the snowy rabbits are and snow as a block and arctic foxes and strays and all of that kind of stuff you need to have those close by you can't always go north and expect things to get colder uh so there's there's just a an odd kind of uh, suspension of real world rules that exists while you're still looking for realism. Um, Lava in our live chat actually said something that I want to pull out here. Um, familiarity is going into Minecraft while you're brand new to the game and thinking, can I smelt sand to make glass and being right? And it's it's certain things that are intuitive in Minecraft because they are a simplified version of 
the way things work in in the real world you know you're using a pickaxe to mine stone rather than a chopping wood kind of axe that like makes makes sense and i think it is still the case that despite it being so heavily documented minecraft doesn't rely on a huge amount of tutorial elements in the game it relies more on immersion and you thinking things through in a logical way based on your assumptions about the real world and and that level of familiarity with those things prompts us to build familiar things as well and i'm sort of wondering as the landscape changes as these experimental snapshots change terrain does that then prompt us to build things that we associate with that terrain a little bit more so like are more people going to attempt mountaintop builds ski resorts you know tibetan temples that kind of stuff because there are more mountainy looking mountains <laughs> in the game and i feel like you know because we can build stuff in any style we want because blocks aren't affected by gravity and so forth the possibilities are limitless but we're gonna fall back on the familiar shapes of houses and real world structures and i mean you've played a bit of no man's sky right so oh yes yeah. when, when you're gathering resources in that you gather them in much more abstract ways than you do resources in minecraft you you, you break something in minecraft you get the blocks that thing is made of and you can put those straight back down again whereas if you gather stuff in no man's sky you get carbon <laughs> and you know you you synthesize that into base building pieces that are very much like these prefab shapes and i don't see that many people getting frustrated in no man's sky that they can't craft a log cabin out of all of these vaporized trees so no man's sky creates a very different atmosphere where you're expecting everything to be alien because the landscape around you is alien so the fact that you can't build a, like a a cozy suburban home doesn't really you know it doesn't matter because you're, you're expecting to be a spaceman whereas i feel like minecraft leaves a lot of that vibe you know to stuff like the nether and the end you know it has more alien feeling dimensions but the overworld is comfort at that point like the the overworld is the thing that you return to and just the fact that the sky in the overworld is blue and the grass is green makes it feel familiar in that sense you know you you come back from spending a long time working on your nether hub or raiding the end or you know basing in either of those dimensions you come back and you see green grass and blue sky and it feels like you've returned home it feels like a a relief and a comfort and like that that part of the game is still endlessly fascinating to me the way minecraft sort of feels like a a second home thanks to how much like the real world it is while still being an interpretation and a stylization of the real world i'm trying to think and the only biome in the overworld that i can think of that has more of a fantasy style to it is the ice spikes everything yeah. else seems to have more of a again like you know giant taiga kind of has a redwood vibe to it uh you have uh i mean i guess some of the oceans and stuff like that not not including structures so forget like ocean monuments and things like that but i guess mushroom island storm rider that's another one yeah mushroom, mushroom island yeah. is going to be my example it, yeah. yeah yeah exactly so there's only a couple uh i i would argue that minecraft could even use some more fantasy like things you know like uh biomes where the leaf colors are i don't know purple you know just just something to say like well it looks like what you'd expect in real life but there's just something that kind of makes it feel a little bit different you know like you see that in a lot of modded minecraft so you'll have 
different materials, different biomes, you'll have uh, different color blocks and rocks and things and trees uh, trying to kind of up the building material. But then as a result, they also give it its own biome. Say, oh, if you want the pink tree, go to the pink tree biome, whatever they call it, flower forest or something, mm-hmm. uh, and and go get it there. And I, I would say that, you know, if there is that battle going on between like, you know, players wanting Minecraft to be more realistic and then Minecraft saying, well, maybe, but we're not sure how far. I think adding some more fantasy related things, I think in, in the, um, in the overworld might be a great way to do it. Uh, I'm thinking about like Minecraft dungeons, but even then they, they still stuck pretty well in the realm of most things we would see in the real world. Like there's more, color environments like pumpkin pastures is very orange and very fall like which we don't tend to have the seasons in in minecraft um so that's still very real world based there's not a lot i guess fantasy-esque about that uh i guess the the levels in in minecraft that are uh, minecraft dungeons that are more fantasy are like the actual dungeon dungeons yeah yeah and and i guess one again once you get into the other dimensions once you get into stuff like the nether and end levels then it starts to feel more kind of fantastical i think so much of the focus of minecraft dungeons is on the creatures and you know the combat element that the the fantasy starts to creep in in terms of like the weapons that you have and there being a lot more magic focus and that sort of thing but when you look at the environments themselves they're almost going for more realism in the sense of desert temple having those blocks which have like a little bit of sand in the cracks of the stone bricks and that kind of thing yeah and so like they, they they've even pushed it a, a, in a in a different way but i think overemphasizing those elements is almost when it ends up in the fantastical realm because a lot of the real world stuff feels relatively mundane (laughs) like if you see something mundane and repetitive in a minecraft environment you kind of accept it because you're not used to so closely examining all of the stuff in the world around you that you still find wonder in it and and i think that's why minecraft dungeons with its kind of you know glowing mushrooms and and like bigger plants and stuff like that we're comparing that to our experience of minecraft more than we are comparing it to our experience of the real world i suppose at that stage but i find this such an interesting discussion i could waffle about it for ages but i think we're probably going to have to wrap up this episode of the show there you can find more information about the spawn chunks and links to some of the stuff we've talked about today at the the music for the show was composed by me, and the Spawn Chunks is proud as ever to be a listener-supported podcast. If you're getting some value out of the show, please consider putting some value back in. You can visit patreon.com slash thespawnchunks to join our community, where pledging at any level gets you an invite to our patrons-only Discord chat, and you can listen to the show live when we record it every week. It also gets us closer to our next goal, which we are inches away from at this point. The monthly Minecraft audio hangout is at the $500 mark on our Patreon. We are at 488 and we are 12 bucks per show away from uh, having a monthly Minecraft audio hangout with our patrons where we just jabber on about what we've all been doing in Minecraft that month. Uh, we are currently at 287 patrons, which we jumped up hugely last week, and this week is just the same. We have five additional patrons since last week, so thank you so much to everybody who has jumped on board this week. And special thanks go out to our content engineers, General Pattern 82 Hunter555, Jumbo Sale, Magma Cube Dude, and Yitz for your support on this episode.
Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spawn Chunks on Twitter and Instagram, but a personal recommendation is by far the best way to share the podcast. Just poke a friend in the arm from a safe distance and say, hey, you should listen to The Spawn Chunks, and you can find it on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. You can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. The RSS feed is linked on thespawnchunks.com, and the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page. That's where you can listen to the render distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixorifs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash Pixorifs, where I am back on the Empire's SMP and probably uploading some Hardcore Survival Guide episodes later this week as well. I also stream three days a week on Twitch, back to doing that as well, more behind-the-scenes work on my YouTube series, maybe even checking out any more experimental snapshots that pop up this week. Uh, and I'm the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search. Aside from that, I'm at Pixorifs on both Twitter and and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything I'm doing online, including my illustration and design portfolios at joelduggan.com. You can listen to my other podcast, The Citadel Cafe, at thecitadelcafe.com. It's all about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment. And you can follow me at Joel Duggan on social media and Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I am bouncing back and forth between Minecraft on The Citadel and Satisfactory. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite, and we're all migrating. Mm -hmm.